Well, I like that one. What was the one that just came out recently? That was like the. Uh, were you talking about that one? That was yeah, sort of like the after talk. Twenty minutes. Yeah. Twenty minutes, sort of. Because I loved it because it was so, so different. Because I could tell everybody had sort of like relaxed and took off sort of their. Because everyone sort of has a style and they're trying to keep a certain mode and we're not trying to cuss and we're trying to keep a certain. Dig- yeah. This was like everyone had their hair down. It was like sitting at the bar. Yeah. And yeah. it's like. You know, and that, and that happens almost every episode, as soon as the recorders come out. Even during the commercial breaks, like, Webby will say, we're going to go to break, and then we'll go into, like, angry rants, and then Webby will be like, okay, let's bring it back together. Time to get back in. So maybe maybe there's be, like, a sidebar of, like, you know, CRM Archaeology Podcast, After Hours. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, a California benefit corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com. Welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 108 for April 12th, 2017. This is your host, Chris Sims. I go to SAA in Vancouver and sit down with Bill Ochter to talk about telecommunications archaeology. So, get ready to delete that SAA app because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. We're here at the 82nd Annual Meeting for the Society of American Archaeology in Vancouver, British Columbia, with Bill Oucher. Did I say your last name right? Oh, Ochter. Ochter, sorry. (laughs) Butchered that. I I have a knack for doing that. you can find him on Twitter at ArcheoThoughts. Yeah. Uh, and we were at the Twitter meetup last night. It was a really fun time. Met some really fantastic people. It was great to put faces to names and people to their Twitter handles. Um, but uh, Bill Bill came by and talked to me uh, with the, the very first day of uh, SAA, right? Yeah, yeah. I came by the panel because I'd, uh, I'd met... Uh, uh, Chris Webster uh, in, in the past down at the SEAC uh, in, in Athens last year yeah. um, and actually we've also done some other work so so it was kind of neat you know so I sort of have this like listener and somewhat working relationship with the Archaeology Podcast Network but it was nice to sort of adhere at SAA to sort of like see everybody in person and, and yeah. sort of get to meet the people uh, yeah. behind the scenes so and that was really cool because like we have a lot of engagement uh, between each other on, on Twitter that and uh, you were part of the session that we did the, the live podcast about podcasting, which was pretty meta, and uh, it was it was interesting to involve the audience, and I was really appreciative of your comments. And it, it was especially meta because for the most part, for most of the time there, I, I was the audience because <laughs> because it, due to planning, it was sort of an awkward time within the schedule of the conference that didn't really give a lot of you know as many people an opportunity to be there that maybe wanted to yeah uh, to be there so but I was always glad to be there and sort of support uh, the thing uh, support the session and, and support what you know the mission is sort of the APN is doing yeah so again thanks for being there that was awesome thanks uh, yeah and I'm sure the the podcast once uh, I finally get around to editing that and posting it I should really get on that and do that sooner than later uh, I'm sure that'll get around and, and be received and useful to people outside of the conference and, you know, people who were maybe at the conference but in other sessions and just too tired because Thursday's a really cool right. day. It does look like there were some people watching on Facebook uh, live, so yeah. there, there was, there's an audience. I mean, look, we know there's an audience uh, yeah. for this. This is, why, this is why you do this. This is why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. 
So the idea that uh, you had introduced uh, when we met the first day of the conference was you're gearing up for a session uh, at the 2018 SAAs in Washington, D.C. on CRM projects specifically on cell phone towers and, and like related technological infrastructure because they're they're like a, an artifact in and of themselves and then so is the industry the support industry for that and I thought that was a really neat thing so if you want to say it in your own words because you described it way better than I can so 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 uh, CRM uh, sort of regulatory uh, evaluations associated with uh, telecommunications projects in the United States is sort of very prescribed uh, the Federal Communications uh, Commission FCC um, has sort of negotiated uh, sort of what are called programmatic agreements, uh, agreements with uh, sort of national stakeholders, uh, state historic preservation offices, tribal historic preservation offices, the Advisory Council of Historic Preservation. And with that, they've sort of given a sort of like very regimented set of rules on how uh, new undertakings uh, for the development of telecommunications infrastructure uh, is to be developed. Yeah. Um, there, and it, it's, it's so prescribed that there are like two designated forms that we always have to fill out when doing this. Uh, the forms are called like six, Form 620 and Form 621. Yeah. Uh, form 620 is associated with uh, raw land new builds. So when you're building a brand new structure all together, which most likely includes ground disturbance, that brings in the archaeology, uh, or Form 621, which is associated with what's called co-location, uh, which is just a, a way of saying when you're going to put an antenna onto an, an existing structure. So in, that, in those aspects, there may or may not be ground disturbance associated, so there may or may not be archaeology, but CRM is still important. Uh, because there still may be a visual impact upon historic resources within an area, what we call an area of potential effect, uh, surrounding the project area, or that structure it's being put upon, whether it's uh, an existing sort of fire tower in the woods, or it's a building in a downtown in a city, or a water tank out in the suburbs, yeah. may itself be a historic resource. Um, so you would have to evaluate the, that the impact that this, this particular project is gonna have upon that resource. So those are sort of all the different ways uh, that, that just building a, a, another antenna so we can get good bars on our cell phones um, impacts cultural resources. Yeah. So there's a lot involved in that, and I think it's really neat that it, it involves, uh, like you had described, the, the three-field CRM approach. So could you break down the, the three-field approach? So. So as I mentioned, uh, sort of the, the raw lands of co-location. So if there's ground disturbance, we're going to need to do archaeology. And what that means depends upon what state you're doing. Because one of the other aspects, at least for me, uh, when I'm doing these, these sorts of projects, is that I'm looking at CRM from a national perspective. I've done projects from Maryland to California. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, um, as, as sort of anybody who's, who's familiar with, uh, with CRM, um, CRM is 50 individual states and the District of Columbia. Uh, and it's done differently in all of those different places. And sometimes it's down to the county level, depending on, on county jurisdictions. So first and foremost, you have to understand what type of testing is required for that particular region that you're in. Um, another sort of, it's more evident in, in this type of work 
uh, from an archaeology point of view is tribal consultation. Uh, because within that programmatic agreement, tribal consultation is very spelled out. There's a sort of an automated online way of reaching out to identify and contact with uh, potentially interested tribes that are interested in your project. Yeah. Um, so, so their input is vital. Uh, there are particular tribes in, in the country who also have sort of their their standards of, of how they want to see an archaeology project be conducted. So you need to take their their perspective in place, whether it's the size, diameter of the holes you're digging, sort of the pacing, how many meters in between each each test pit, if you are digging uh, shovel test pits, uh, or whether or not to include sort of a buffer zone of sort of incidental construction, or do you strictly stay within the boundaries that the telecommunications firm says exactly where they are building their structures. Yeah. Um, so all those sort of questions come into mind, and that's just in the archaeology aspect of it. Um, from the architectural history standpoint, sort of what I mentioned earlier, um, you need to evaluate the structure that they're putting this, this, this thing on, uh, and whether or not it's a historic resource, and whether or not that your project is impacting what makes it's all sort of goes down to that level of you know the big term in in national register uh, is significance. Yeah. So is this particular project altering what makes this resource significant? Uh, so that's that's from that aspect. But also it works around. So it, it it gives me an opportunity to sort of play with landscapes. Yeah. Um, because historic districts come into play, especially uh, especially where I work in in the Mid Atlantic mostly. Um, there are a lot of battlefields, especially associated with the Civil War in, in Maryland and Virginia. Yeah. And so when you're close to those types of resources, now you are discussing the impact upon a landscape where there may not be a structure involved, but it is still a historic place. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have, you know, historic places don't have to be buildings. Um, so you have to, you know, and another key aspect when you're doing that is about cumulative effects. So the fact that there may be three existing towers in the area doesn't mean you can build a new one uh, because at some point there's going to be so much visual clutter that it's going to adversely affect, that's the big term you're, you're looking out for is adverse effects yeah. uh, for that. And then to bring it sort of into history, um, whenever uh, you're doing a project, you need to understand the place that you're at. Um, so, like for history, what, I, what I'll do a lot is I'll, I'll, I'll use um, historic mapping data. And depending on where you're at in the country, you either have 200 years worth of historic maps to work from, or you just have the U.S. Uh, GS quads yeah. uh, of the last 100 years. But either way, they are great tools to sort of show change over time. Yeah. Uh, when is the other infrastructure area? So, so the, yes, you're also looking at what the impact of your place was now, but you're also looking at what, what was there in the past. Yeah. Was there any previous development occurring in, in your area? Uh, what is the growth of infrastructure? Because I mean, this is where I try to sneak in sort of like real analysis and design into, into my work, into these sort of tiny little projects, yeah. is that these projects are an infrastructure project, but infrastructure in the United States is nothing new. This is part of a continuing story about the development of infrastructure in the country. So I try to look at the history of the infrastructure and the areas around there and sort of see how this fits in with the flow of infrastructure development yeah. uh, in these areas. So, so it's, a, it's an interesting challenge because all this is done typically in a five to 10 page report. Yeah. So 
this is all really interesting because of the depth and complexity that uh, doing a cell tower job requires. However, to put it into a different context within the industry of CRM, it's often glossed over as something that's not as important because they tend to be very small budgets and very small timelines, very small crews. The reports are prepared quite quickly. And usually with, uh, in my experience at least, I'm I'm sure it's probably very different where you are because there's a lot more historic resources uh, to be adversely affected. But I've, I've done a lot of cell tower jobs out in very rural areas where there's little to no development, and so the reports can be done really quickly. Like, uh, there have been a few where I've gone down with one other person, and me and that other crew member knocked out the field work. We drove down, knocked out the field work in one day, and then on the drive back to the office, I knocked out the report in the car while we were driving. In, yeah, in most cases, that is, that is true. I mean, every once in a while, you'll have someone who is crazy enough to build a brand new tower in, say, the middle of Baltimore. Yeah. Um, and because when you're, you know, when we, I talked about the area of potential effects, uh, co-locations are typically small in sort of the immediate vicinity of the building is what you're looking at. But with towers, uh, they, they begin at a half mile and go out from there. Yeah. Uh, based upon the size of the tower. So, if you're trying to build a brand new tower in some place like Baltimore, all of a sudden there are you know hundreds of resources uh, or potential resources because typically what what will happen is that you'll go to your state agency and your state agencies will sort of list everything they have on their state records. Yeah. And what you'll do then have to do then is go through and go have they determined whether or not it's it's either listed listed on the National Register or potentially eligible for the National Register because like I mentioned our programmatic agreements give us a very tight definition yeah. so we're only concerned about those items which are either potentially eligible or actually listed so that typically will take even like a, a nightmare scenario like like downtown Baltimore will typically take it down from you know over a hundred potential projects to you know a reasonable 30 or so and you know these are tight time frames so these are 30 buildings you need to sort of document uh, in a day yeah. uh, and, and so forth and you still need to get the report out within a I mean a good frame from start to finish is anywhere between two to four weeks and I'm talking about from the first time you get an email saying you need to do the project yeah. to the time you've actually sent are able to send documentation to SHPO uh, the reality and that's and then, like on currently on my board, I have over two dozen projects that I'm currently working on. Um, so it's not like I spend two or three weeks on these. It's typically two to three days uh, right. is the total amount of time that you can spend on a project from start to finish of actual work time. Yeah. So it's kind of like a shell game when when you're to put it back into the the context of, of CRM, like in your office, to you know narrow that focus. Like you said, you've got more than a dozen projects going at once, so it's like a shell game. You're constantly going, okay, I'm, I'm gonna invest some time onto this cell tower job, but I still have to keep the ball rolling on all of these other projects, gotta keep them going, and so on and so forth. So then that comes back around to like why they tend to get, um, I don't know, I guess like a sense of diminished importance. Um, it is, I mean, especially, I mean, I'm sort of in a unique spot of a sort of a subset of like archaeologists who do this kind of stuff where it, for the most part it is my primary job. 
Yeah. So it's my every day-to-day thing. Okay. But before I became to this firm I'm at now, um, I was at a firm where I was a sort of a conventional archaeological technician, where I would just, you know, I'd be on the phase ones, the phase twos, the phase threes, and we saw telecommunications projects as the way to fill in the gaps in between projects. Yeah. Um, they were, weren't not necessarily taken as seriously yeah. because you're not, we're not digging up, you know, 17th century uh, you know, ordinaries or late archaic uh, pit, you know, fire features and things yeah. like that, or hearths. But, um, you know, in my six years of doing telecommunications projects, I have found two sites. Um, one was outside, one was a house ruin outside the boundary, so it didn't affect the project at all, but I saw it there, so I recorded it for the state. Yeah. Uh, and then one which had received initial. Uh, clearance and but a, uh, a tribe had expressed interest in monitoring the project and when they came out they observed the midden and so then I had to come out uh, again uh, to sort of work that project and we did and we confirmed that there was a site on that on that land nice. so so yes and that's another aspect of it it doesn't have sort of the the sexiness that most like archaeologists like archaeologists like to talk about we found something yeah <laughs> and so when you're continually doing a project where you don't find things um, that I could see that as you know being a potentially frustrating thing for, if if you're strictly focused within an, an archaeological context. Yeah. So from the telecommunications company's perspective, do you get the sense that they have done some advanced planning to locate uh, low probability areas where they're going to locate um, a, a, a tower or any sort of infrastructure? That, it, yeah, it, it is an absolute prior. It is an absolute part of their planning process. Um, this this cultural resource management or Section 106 evaluations are actually part of a larger uh, NEPA, uh, the uh, National Environmental Policy Act uh, review that takes place on every one of these projects. And it's sort of my bigger scheme of thing. I'm sort of managing the full NEPA process yeah. and the and the and the and Section 106. So so within that process, they are considering. Are they within, now, now they don't know archeology, span so they cannot determine whether or not there's gonna be archeology span in the area they're in. Yeah. But most states typically have publicly available information concerning where national register listed properties are. Um, so they can, they'll, they will use that as a factor uh, in, in determining uh, site locations. Um, however, um, as an infrastructure piece, the most important thing is coverage. So they need, their primary concern is filling in a gap that provides coverage in the same way that, you know, if you're putting in a water main, it needs to go to the right buildings. Yeah. Even if it means you have to go through sort of a rough area. Uh, or roads, sometimes you'll have to go, you know, dynamite through a, a mountain to build a road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that's the way you have to go, even if there would be an easier route to avoid it. Yeah. Um, so same is true for archaeology. Sometimes you do need to build a property within sight of the National Mall in Washington, D.C. because people in the National Mall still need one cell tower coverage. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're near the White House, people still want cell tower coverage. So, um, so you still, so, the, you know, then, then you sort of get into, you know, they'll, they'll be, you know, so they are planning for that. Um, and that's also why they have, you know, consultants like us uh, so that when they know they're going to be in a process like that, we are expected to sort of help them navigate through the process because uh, they, they do understand it's been very made clear to them by the FCC yeah. that they have a sort of a response a stewardship responsibility 
uh, to the land. Uh, you know, as, as a privilege of them having a lease to be able to conduct this. Well, okay, that's more sort of my, my, my opinion when it comes to this, uh-huh. uh, is that they, they sort of have a stewardship obligation because they have sort of the privilege of working on public land yeah. uh, to put this in. So it's, it's sort of an obligation thing. You will get different debates in the industry whether or not they actually feel like that as well. Uh, depends on who you talk to. Nice. Let's face it, the quality of archaeological field photography could really use some improvement. We aim to change this with the Codify Magic Photo Board. This lightweight but incredibly durable board is designed to help you take color-perfect photos of artifacts, features, and sites using almost any camera, even your smartphone. You need to see it to believe it. Engineered from exceptional quality, color-safe, high-pressure laminate, Codify Magic Photo Board is ready for tough field conditions. It's guaranteed to level up your photography. Start taking publication-worthy photos right in the field with the Codify Magic Photo Board. Available now for pre-order, visit codify.com APN. That's codifi.com forward slash APN today and get your promo code exclusively for listeners of the Archaeology Podcast Network. To go back to the session that you're planning for... Um, the SAAs, what are some of your goals and the objectives that you'd like to, to come out of this, this session? So what I would like to do is sort of sort of address, if, if possible, sort of address sort of a sort of a bunch of different questions that come up in my mind at least um, as I'm doing this type of work. One is to sort of give it a light, give it its day in the sun um, because it is sort of, at least from my experience, sort of a fringe uh, group within cultural resource management, um, I've noticed, you know, at many conferences I've been at, uh, no one discusses, uh, you know, their work on telecommunications archaeology as a process. Um, occasionally, if someone finds a site, uh, and they ha- and they and they, but then it gets presented as a we were doing CR, we were doing compliance archaeology, we found a site, here's what we found. Yeah. Um, but there hasn't really been a discussion of what it means that we are doing this particular sort of endeavor uh, because uh, on one because there, at least for me there's, there's a bunch of interesting questions that come out of you know doing this sort of infrastructure tech uh, archaeology um, one I'm doing archaeology on a national perspective um, I have I have been in situations where I got on a plane and flew to California and on that flight, I learned everything there was to know about California archaeology so that I was, became an expert on the ground. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's not the first time that has occurred where all of a sudden it's like, hey, we have a project in this state. Yeah. Because um, those timetables I'm talking about, those quick ones, exactly. they still exist. Oh, yeah. But all of a sudden, I don't have to do that. And sometimes out west, what I have to do then is I, I wear multiple hats. Out east, I'm normally digging and I'm playing everything from PI to archaeological technician. Yeah. Uh, typically on the projects out west, I am looking for firms and hiring firms, and I'm playing more of a project manager role. Gotcha. Um, so since I'm wearing all those hats as one person, that's an interesting story I'd, I'd like to sort of unpack and, and sort of examine, because I, I say, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one doing this, yeah. um, so it's sort of an interesting story. Um, so with that national scale, you know, at least I have stories, and I know other people do, of sort of looking at CRM sort of from the 30,000 foot level uh, in this country because so many of us are sort of like locked into our region yeah. um, that we sort of lose sight of, you know, we, we're all about context. 
Uh, you don't want to lose your, you know, there's, I mean, I did see panels here about like the idea of getting caught up in the idea of a site as opposed to the broader con context of landscape. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of looking at it from that next level up like, well, let's look at it from a national perspective and sort of national movements of people and migrations and things like that. And it's, you know, it's, they're not, you know, the projects I do are not deep, but it's broad. And there's a yeah. broad scope to that. And I, and I would like the, a, a platform to sort of be able to sort of play around with that and, and, and try to figure out if that means anything uh, for us as a science. Yeah. And what can we what can we learn and sort of use for that? Um, sort of another avenue I'd like to like sort of play around with with this is that this we are this particular type of archaeology is tied or CRM is tied to a, a very specific technology. A technology which is relatively new. It's only been in existence, well it's been in existence for like the last 40 years. Uh, but the boom of this particular type of work really go, only goes back in the last 20 years. Uh, so we're married to this particular type of technology. And as such, unlike other fields of archaeology, we are also tied to the sort of changes and growth in, of these technologies. Um, like right now, we are on the cusp of sort of an emerging groups of new technologies. Uh, you have the Internet of Things, the Internet of Everything. Uh, which is just a fancy way of saying that um, a lot of non-traditional objects are now going to be connected. We see it in our homes yeah. with the speaker, with the you know the Alexa speakers, and with the uh, you know with the thermostats that can you know you can you can access from your phone and things like that. That is growing, and all that is is communicating wirelessly. And in your home, you have your Wi-Fi. But now take it to the next level of, of objects on the street, like as the automated cars and things like that come into place. Oh, yeah. So now you need, you know, a, a growing sort of different kind of wireless infrastructure to sort of accommodate all those different new, new and emerging technologies. Yeah. Uh, another aspect is that as technology grows, um, the technology gets smaller. So a lot of these new antennas that are going to sort of help that new industry, what's now being called sort of 5G. Um, are getting smaller. They're what's what sort of you know, pejoratively called, not pejoratively, but, but sort of technically now called sort of small cell. And with that, that changes um, how you know review the review process works. Um, last year, the FCC did a revision of the programmatic agreement uh, dealing with co-locations that specifically addressed these sort of small cell uh, uh, projects and it sort of redefined. Uh, you know what what is subject to evaluation and what's not and at least initially right now it's still you know it's new for legislation so you got to work its way through you know you won't know until you're in the field how things go but it, right now it looks like it's it's sort of reducing the number of projects that are sort of subject to uh, section 106 review yeah. um, because they're smaller and they're more compact and so they're not necessarily having the same impacts that a big 200 foot tower with six foot long antennas is going to have upon a landscape when you can stick it on a lamp pole and it's only about two feet but it doesn't really alter the shape of the actual lamp pole uh, significantly yeah. uh, you know that's, that's a different impact I mean on one level it's, it's great for heritage because you could still have the growth of technology and not damage uh, you know what makes different areas significant but as someone who you know does this for a living it's like oh no <laughs> uh, but I mean, but that's that sort of be expected. If you're tied to a particular industry, you're going to grow. You know, it's an industry that didn't exist before. Like all right. things in the world, it's going to be born. It's going to mature. 
and it's going to die. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, so we'll, you know, asking this sort of those questions now that we're sort of 20 years into it, and maybe we're either at a maturing stage or maybe sort of a later year stage for this industry. What have we learned, and where where can we go from here? Yeah. So when we refer to this technology as something that will become an artifact, doing something like organizing the session and you know, like formalizing the discussion on all of the aspects of this as an industry and all of the variables that go into it can in a way provide a historical document for people of the future to see how we were doing present archaeology, like archaeology of the present of what's, what's going on. Yeah, because I mean, it's a good sort of summary and a reminder that anytime you, you add new material to the landscape, you are contributing to the future archaeological record. <laughs> every new building, every new tower, every new road is a future site yeah. uh, on there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm mindful of that too as I'm going on there because I, I like, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, by nature, my love is historic archaeology. Uh -huh. So, and I am a historic archaeologist who firmly believes there is historic archaeology in the 20th century. You'll bump into people who will argue there is no 20th century archaeology because it's too new, yeah. too modern, and so forth like that. But I am so, so yeah. So I am in. I'm you know fully aware that these these things themselves, and this is sort of the way when you're sort of doing public archaeology and when you sort of talking to a public, uh, is to remind them there isn't a gap between you standing here today and what occurred in the past. We are all part of a continuous story and yeah. we are making our contributions to that story today. I think that uh, that reminds me of uh, Bill Rathke's Garbology project and yes. how that was, uh, it, I had heard at first it wasn't very well received but it's become this incredibly influential uh, project uh, that was an archeology span of the present that used a lot of different aspects of the, the different approaches of archeology span to look at like consumerism and development like so on and so forth. And uh, I think that there's a lot of overlap from that in uh, cell tower and telecommunications work because there's a lot of consumerism and urban development and spatial planning and you know the different kind of demographic shifts that are happening as, as you know urban revitalization is now a thing. Yeah, I mean I mean one of the things I would I would like to do with a panel like this is sort of dispel the idea that Telecommunication archaeology and well, and, and CRM in general, uh, we're sort of like higher technicians that are box checkers for development. Yeah. Uh, which is a wide perception, both inside and outside of our field. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's something we always, I always feel you know, we have to, I have to sort of defend as you know, we are scientists. We are here doing work. So, so even with something like this types of projects, I'm still approach. I still approach it with the idea of like. What are my research questions? What is sort of the theoretical modeling? Now, I don't get to spend a lot of time doing this. Yeah. And I have to do this sort of like at one time and then apply it to, to 50 projects all at the same time. Um, so it's, you know, yes, I don't, it's, it's a different beast. Yeah. And I get that. And sometimes there are practical matters involved. Um, we are, you know, development and this regulatory process is a political process. Absolutely. And as such, there are, you know, there will be political decisions made. Um, so even if you are in, I mean, we all know, we all know this from CRM. Even if you're in what you believe to be an extremely vital and important resource, 
under the right political circumstance, that resource will be destroyed. Yeah. Uh, then it becomes our job as, as archaeologists to be then become his documentarians and to document that 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 resource so that hopefully it do, does not get forgotten yeah. uh, once it is gone. Uh, and so you know, so that's how I feel like you know I'm, I'm part of the bigger CRM world, but within this tiny little world. You know, it's, it's sort of a, you know, a way to sort of examine all, everything we do in CRM, but in a small space, which makes it sort of easier to sort of look at the questions that may get overlooked on sort of bigger our, our CRM projects. Yeah, that's awesome. What's the next step then? Well, the next step is to sort of find uh, interested, uh, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing here at, at SAA is I'm sort of having this discussion with people as I'm walking around uh, from in different parts of the country and even different countries. Uh, and sort of get their experiences and, to, and sort of generate interest of those who, uh, who may want to contribute to sort of a session nice. on this, or, or even if not, just sort of engage with this, this dialogue of yeah. like that. So I, I'm very active on Twitter, yeah. and uh, it's at ArcheoThoughts. So if you, you know, if you wish to sort of reach out to me, and sort of, you know, we can, we can, you know, we can, we can talk about this further, either just as a subject matter itself, yeah. or if you wish to contribute or and be part of this panel next year, uh, next April in, in Washington, uh, I'd be more than happy to hear from you because that's my main, my main goal for this session is that this is an idea that's sort of been floating around my. Because when you do see your, uh, telecom archaeology, you're by your typically you're by yourself. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time by myself in a car, hence <laughs> yeah. why I'm a big fan of the APN. Um, with that, though, I'm also thinking, and these are thoughts that I've sort of been working on for the last couple of years. But now I'd like to have this turn into a discussion, and you know, I'm fully willing to accept the idea that some of my ideas are completely off base, or I haven't thought of something else that, that's yeah. going on in here. So I want to have what is best in archaeology that sort of intellectual debate we have in the field, at the bar, at the conference, um, where we share ideas and share things so that we all you know, become uh, more engaged and so hopefully a little smarter yeah. about what we do in the field. So yeah, nice. I mean, that's, that's, that's my main goal for this thing is to sort of create a dialogue about, not just about telecommunications, archaeology, that's sort of the pretense yeah. for this. It's more about heritage management, regulatory archaeology, and how we do it now, and what can we do to make it better in the future? Because it's not perfect, yeah. and you know we can go into the whole different times. And I'm sure many people have like problems with Section 106 and NEPA, yeah. uh, and so forth like that. But you know, within this tiny little space, it gives us hopefully a little you know, a little laboratory to sort of examine those ideas that we can then bring out to some of these larger yeah. larger issues. So. Nice. I'm ambitious for now. We'll see how the panel actually turns out. <laughs> yeah. Well, for anybody who might not be on Twitter, uh, where else could they reach you? Um, so I, I am on LinkedIn as well, under Bill Ochter uh, as well. And um, you could also email me. Um, it would be, I'll probably have it in the show notes, but uh, yeah. uh, it's bochter at archerinc.com. Well, that'll be in the show notes, so yeah. it'll be easier to cl click on it that way. And you can more more than welcome to reach out to me, uh, and, and we can we can talk about this. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, go to archaeologypodcastnetwork.com and uh, look for the the interview with Bill Ochter here. Nice. Anything right. else you'd like to add? Well, I, I'd like to thank you. I like to thank you for the opportunity to sort of talk here. It's it's, it's sort of weird. I've 
I've been sort of a, a, a fan of the APN sort of its inception, and yeah. now I find myself here sort of talking yeah. uh, and doing doing some work here, you know, contributing to it. And so, yeah. so I, I, I appreciate I appreciate sort of the public archaeology outreach that APN offers, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Nice. Well, thank you so much, and I'm really appreciative for all your input, both at the podcast session we had the other day and right here, right now, and uh, I'd, I'd really look forward to having you on some more programs, because you've got some really great inputs that uh, you had pointed out were very uh, stilted towards the, the West Coast, so the, yes, nice that, to bring in some of that mid-Atlantic. It is, like when I listen to like the CRM Archaeology podcast, there's, there's, there's that very left, left coast, see, I'm, I'm using my East Coast bias now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, perspective there and it's and it's good I mean, it's it's taught me so much about western archaeology that i didn't know and now as i'm now doing projects occasionally in the west yeah um i don't feel as like you know flat-footed because i'm like wait a minute they i remember chris talking about this yeah so i'm not as you know or i need to find somebody in the region wait a minute this guy says they work there i'm gonna call him <laughs> so so but yeah so you know I'm, I'm definitely you know be more than happy to sort of like be you know contribute where I can to help to help the network because I yeah I appreciate the mission and I definitely want to support it. Awesome, thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. Yeah. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Podcast. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for the episode. You can also email me at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag CRMArcPodcast or you can tag at ArcPodNet in your tweet. Please share the link to the show wherever you saw it. If you share CRM archaeology related items on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else for that matter, be sure to use the hashtag CRMArc so the community can see and comment. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Also, please consider donating to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Your donations help fund our bandwidth and contribute to our editing costs. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and edited by Chris Sims. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info.